2: Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in Merrick, Long Island, New York. Bill Donahue here. I'm taking you through the first hour on this Sunday night, the 22nd day of August 2021. Our engineer, Brian Graves, is right across the way with us as usual, and we've got a great show coming your way. Up first, we'll return to a favorite segment of yours and mine. Baseball at the movies, and we'll welcome in, from a league of their own, Megan Cavanaugh, who plays Marla Hooch. What a hitter. (laughs) In the second half, we'll switch gears and we'll welcome in the legendary singer, songwriter, producer, session musician. He's done just about everything in the music business. Danny Korchmar will join us, so sit back and relax, get comfortable Enjoy Sports Talk New York tonight on GBB. Some great sports memories up ahead tonight, as always, and social media. We're out on Facebook. You can find us there, so give us a like on our page. Uh, we're on Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk, and you can follow me on Twitter at BDonahueWGBB. And if you miss a show, don't worry, because they're all archived out on the website. So you'll never miss one. There you go. So we return now to baseball at the movies. We welcome in our first guest. She made her film debut portraying Marla Hooch in A League of Their Own. And among her other, other roles, you will recognize her as the voice of Judy Neutron in Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius. And, of course, the adventures of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius. We welcome in to Sports Talk New York tonight, Megan Cavanaugh. Megan, Good evening.
1: Hi, Bill.
2: How you doing? We're doing wonderful here, Megan. We're still here after Hurricane Henri. He oh. he uh, showed mercy on us, and we're all still alive here in New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm awfully
1: <absolutely laughs> glad
2: to hear that. <laughs> yep, we're, we're good to go. Now, you grew up in Illinois, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Did you follow sports as a kid? Yeah, well,
1: I've always been a Cubs fan. I, okay. I, you know, the Blackhawks um, and uh, the Bears are my and then, of course, when, you know, Jordan was playing for the Bulls, I watched basketball. But mostly, I'm the baseball, football, hockey fan.
2: I got gotcha. you. Okay. <laughs> so that must have been a thrill for you, then, when you filmed the tryout spot at Wrigley Field, oh. right?
1: Bill, it was a religious experience, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. and I mean that seriously. Like, it was such an amazing, when, I, when my character walks onto the field, as Marla walks onto the field,
2: that
1: was Megan going. Oh my <laughs> God! I'm here. I get to be in
2: this sanctuary. It's just. It was amazing. I, uh, as a matter of fact, today I got a a um, fe- FaceTime call from three friends of mine who were in the bleachers at Wrigley Field today, and they just uh, wanted to give me a shout out from uh, right right in front of the scoreboard. They were. It was real cool. Uh-
1: That's awesome. I know they lost today, unfortunately, but Cubs aren't doing too good. We gave away all our great guys to the Mets and the Yankees and the Giants, and that that was a real heartbreak. Well, I'll
2: tell you, we'll send Javi Baez back on the next bus. He's not doing too well. He's
1: not. Well, he needs to be back with the Cubs. Yes.
2: Believe me, I'll pay for his airfare, Megan. How does that sound? (laughs) (laughs) We'll send him back out there. Now, who are your acting influences, Megan?
1: You know i i margaret rutherford who is a british actress Mm -hmm. a british character actress i always have always loved her work and i i you know i studied theater and i um and i started in chicago theater before i i did anything so theater was my first love so i have a lot of like uh theater people that i love you know and old, old old timers um and um, I just I, I just feel so lucky to have been a Chicagoan mm-hmm. and an actress in Chicago. I'd also got to, you know, just that, that town growing up in Chicago was an amazing experience for me. And, and that, the amount of theater in that town is just the best. really a good place to start out as an actress. yeah.
2: Okay, now Vincent Camby of uh, the New York Times here, he gave A League of Their Own uh, a great review right off the bat, as we use a baseball cliche, uh, (laughs) citing you as one of the great supporting players. How did you get involved in the movie? Well,
1: you know, I had a a, a roommate that was a trainer, and um, every actress in L.A. wanted to be in this movie, so they were looking for people to help train them to and so an actress named Kathleen York called our apartment, and you know, this is back in the day with the answering machines and all that, mm-hmm. and, um, and she and I started to talk, and she heard my Chicago accent and said, are you you from Chicago? And I said, yeah. And she said, do you play ball? And I said, oh, I played, <laughs> uh, I played 16-inch softball. That's really what I played. Yeah. And she said, well, they're looking for actresses who can play ball for this movie. And she ended up giving me the script. I ended up working out. She had a... An audition you had to play baseball before you could even read for the for the movie and i helped her with her audition and i ended up getting the role which is just hilarious
2: nice N- yeah, now it
1: was, it was yeah
2: the tryout megan uh, for john lovitz in the gym was that really you hitting yes i wow. did. I'm
1: hitting. i'm very 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 um happy to tell you that i learned to be a switch hitter yeah i was doing 80 miles an hour in the cage 80 85 depending um, in the cage on both sides before I did that scene, and um, I was I worked really really hard. We had great coaches. Um, oh, you, you know, all the coaches from University of Southern California. Right. Yeah, I read that Rod
2: Day doe yes. was uh, the baseball consultant. And wh- what did he help you guys with?
1: Oh God, everything. We, yeah. We, we had baseball training for months before we even did one. Before we even did one cell of. Of, of filming, like, you know, when, when you know, we were, we did sliding, we did, we played um, pepper, we did, um we did everything, we did, we did batting, we did catching, we did sliding, we did uh, pitching for people who pitched, we did, we just, and then we worked eight hours a day for like, you know, weeks before we ever even did one shot of the movie, so.
2: That's amazing. They
1: worked very hard with us.
2: We're speaking with Megan Cavanaugh tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now, I had read, uh, Megan, where there were many physical mishaps. A lot of injuries took place that were real. I, I read that Ann Ramsey broke her nose and yep. Renee Coleman, that that awful bruise they show on her thigh. That was real. It was real. Wow. She had to
1: slide so many times for this one shot. That, you know, after it, that, that was the result of it. And a whole year later, you could still see the outline of that bruise on her thigh. Like, she really did a number on her thigh there.
2: That, that's terrible. Yeah. Now, yep. we, we're we well, big
1: days. The real ladies that played ball had stuff like that all the time. I, mean, I can,
2: I can imagine like, wearing those outfits. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they played with broken collarbones, and they really felt like they were doing that for um, that was their part for um the war. You know, they were keeping baseball alive right. while the war was done. So they were um they were amazing those women. They were just and they were living their dreams. They were they were mm-hmm. all, you know, pretty young. Some of them were as young as, you know, seventeen and um they got to go and some of these girls were making more money than their dads were making in factories. Like, That's you know great.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it, was,
1: it was just incredible. Yeah.
2: Now did you ever get to visit Cooperstown uh during the filming Megan,
1: you know, not not during the filming, but I ended up giving my um, uniform to the Hall of Fame, and I got to go on the Sony jet to the, and I have a I, my base my uniforms in in I got inducted, kind of. It's I, yeah. it's so crazy saying that because you know I think of all the baseball players that are that are not there that need to be, but I um they gave me a wool jersey with my name on it, and a, and I have a path to go there, you know, for the rest of my life, wow. any time I want. And, my yeah, my uniform is there. So that's Oh, so your that's
2: uniform. yours. Yeah, I, I know. Back in well, the movie section of the Hall of Fame, um, I used that picture in my Baseball is the movie segment to, to uh, prop up my shows. But that's your uniform in there. Okay. Well, they have
1: more than one. Yeah, there's a couple of different people that gave their uniforms, and I was one of them. But, yes, my, I'm very happy to say that I'm so glad that I could... Keep it there because you know my nieces were calling me up and asking me to use it for costumes for, for Halloween, <laughs> and I was like, "No, no, no! This should yeah. be, you know, in a safe place." So when they called and, and said, "Would you want to do this?" I was, I was just honored to do it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I just that whole experience for me, you know, it's going to be 30 years. Yeah, next year's when the movie came out, but it's actually 30 years from this summer that we filmed it. We would. Um, and ah. it's amazing to me that it's been that long. Like it just seems like yesterday. Like I.
2: God, well, I it, it certainly it. stands up, Megan. That's for sure. Well, now, you. I I had read that uh, during the filming of some of the some of the games that some of the stars took turns entertaining the extras in the stands. Is that true? <laughs> that is true. Well, wow. Rosie
1: was really Rosie was the one that really was the one that was doing that because she. You know, she had done, she would have been doing a lot of stand up and she had stand up friends. And so she had invited a stand up friend to help keep the the, um, the people in the stands uh, entertained. And, you know, Rosie would say, I'm going to sing. Madonna's going to sing for you. And everybody would go, yeah. And Madonna would be like, shut up, Rosie. I'm not saying. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so Rosie would sing. And I mean, it was just, it was a lot of fun. I, I can't even. It was a dream come true. That that whole experience for me. It's just like I can't even believe I did it. In a way,
2: yeah. you know. Well, I, I watched it again today. I got to tell you, and it, it's always it, it's always enjoyable. Always have a tear at the end. And uh, yeah. I I also read somewhere I go went through IMDb, and I took out okay. a, bu- a bunch of uh, facts from there. Gina Davis uh, didn't really do that split.
1: Well. Now that's not a, a complete truth. Okay, he did this. He didn't go into the split, like you know how when you see you see um, it was actually our second second, Sammy Hoffman, that did the actual going into the split, and then she could get into the split slowly, so she could she was in the split, you know, with her arm out, and they just yeah. edited it. Okay, he would, I guess he's been a gymnast, and he could do it. So he went. He goes quickly into it, and then they go to her in it. So she could do the
2: split, but yeah. she couldn't do them fast. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> there's, a, there's a fact for you folks. Now, we're going to get uh, down to the nitty-gritty here, Megan. Megan Cavanaugh right. with us tonight. The, the scene where Tom Hanks makes his appearance and comes into the clubhouse, goes right away to relieve himself that Penny Marshall was in a stall with a hose and bucket actually making that noise. <laughs> Is that true?
1: You know what? I don't know if if that's true. I doubt it. I I, I mean, I don't remember that happening and I was there, but I... I don't remember that. Okay. I don't, if that, if somebody say that happened. Maybe it did, but I'm not aware of that. Might
2: happened. be an urban legend. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but certainly that's a memorable scene. Now, the great scene oh, yeah. of you guys in the Bucket of suds. We, we have Marla up on stage. Nobody can find Marla. All of a sudden they look on stage. There she is, singing the great <laughs> torch song, It Had to Be You, to to Nelson. Now, how long did it take to film that scene, Megan?
1: Um, we did that uh, in a day, it was a whole day, of yeah. um, and Alan Wilder plays Nelson, and he's a wonderful actor from Steppenwolf Theater. Um, um, the, As I recall, we did a few days at the Suds Bucket, and um, just a little known fact, this that bar that we actually filmed the sub bucket in was called Fitzgeralds, and it was in Berwyn, Illinois. Okay. And I grew up in Oak Park, Illinois, which is next door to Berwyn. So, you know, it was amazing that that's where they ended up filming that because I was from there. I had been to Fitzgeralds, you know. Yeah. And um, that, and they decorated it for the movie, and they just sold it, uh, I think, right before COVID, or you know, right around then. And they still had the same decoration from *League of the Road* still in there when they sold it.
2: Nice, yeah. But yeah, what a funny. scene that was. Certainly memorable, oh. and you you, you really, you, you hit it off great. It, it, it was really wonderful.
1: Oh, thank you. I, it was such a dream come true. My parents got to come to the set that day and, and see that, too. That was fun. And it was, um... God, you know, that scene in, in the original version was a much longer scene. It, um, uh, what happens is Jimmy Dugan, Tom Hanks character, no, sorry, David Strathairn's Aaron's character, Ira, comes into the bar and he's cleaning his glasses and he thinks he sees Tina um, Davis helping Marla off the stage. And, and Tom Hanks' character hits him over the head with a bottle to knock him out so that he doesn't. And then they put him in the bed with Miss Custer.
2: Oh, my All God. Jeff, yeah. <laughs>
1: That you know, we filmed all that, but that didn't
2: end up in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would have been great. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Hilarious. Now, also, what people may not realize is Madonna's dancing partner is Eddie Mecca, the big yeah. ragu from uh, Laverne and Shirley. That's right. Yeah. It sure. Was. Yeah. But they were good friends. Penny
1: was good friends with him from uh, from Laverne and Shirley.
2: And uh, yeah. David Lander who was, I, I think it was yeah. Squiggy, was was uh, one of the broadcasters. And uh, I don't know if you know this, Megan, but the line that he uses, oh, doctor, that was or- originated by the Brooklyn Dodgers broadcaster, Red Barber.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's,
2: that's, that's uh, an old baseball euphemism, yeah, that, that he oh, used.
1: That's, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: And, uh, another thing I read, let's see if you, if you can substantiate this one, Megan. The studio originally wanted Jimmy and Dottie to get together.
1: That, that was why, yes, they actually have a kiss. Yeah. That, script that happened, and then they ended up cutting just all of that, just all of it. And, um, including that cut was Marla getting traded to Racine to be near her husband Nelson, who makes cheese. And plays in the in the, and gets pregnant and goes to the hospital because Daddy slides and puts her in the hospital. I mean, it was so much more that got cut that was in the original script. Um, but yes, and I know that the ladies, the all American ladies, had a problem with Daddy and um, and uh, and Jimmy having that kiss because they really felt like um, it, during the war there was such a women they were like that wouldn't have happened they were just they were not happy with that part and and i don't know if that had some if that had any of the reasons that it got cut i think it was just that there wasn't time sort of it didn't fit into the story the way that penny wanted it to fit in and i think that's why it got cut but
2: gotcha yeah yeah boy those are some interesting twists in there that we would have seen wow yeah, and yeah
1: the original script is very different from what ended up being the movie
2: well, one of the writers—I I don't know if you know this, Megan. One of the writers, uh, I think it w- was Candell. Uh, right. Her, her uh, brother and Babalu, Babalu
1: were the writers. Uh, Kelly candel was the. Um, his mom was one of the helped create it. She, she they. He found her, um, her films in the garage, and they made a documentary ah. about it. And that's what Penny saw. that created the.
2: The idea for that's it, how it know? started but kelly candel's yeah, yeah. brother played for the houston astros and the montreal expos uh casey candel i remember him right. uh during the 80s right i that's i remember that too
1: Mm-hmm.
2: yes there's an but, um, interesting side fact for you folks we're, right. we're really we're, we're giving you everything we got here tonight on a, a league of their <laughs> own R- right megan <laughs> that's
1: right absolutely
2: now it's a great Let's see, Madonna. She didn't. Uh, she the. She didn't pick things up as quickly as as maybe she could have, as far as baseball goes. But I read that uh, she was supposed to be the third base girl, but they moved her to the outfield because of that. Is that right? Well, I know that she is one of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. Okay.
1: Um, was a, she really really wanted to be able to play. Baseball as well as everybody else, but you know you can't just that you can't just pick it up and learn it you know in in two months. You sure, to be able to, right? You know you have to have you've had to have played it at some level in your life you know um, beforehand. And she worked really hard, but yes, she was supposed to be the third base, and Rosie had the best arm, and um, and so Rosie was third, and, and uh, May was outfield.
2: And another fact That's I read, folks, is that. Yes, Rosie O'Donnell can indeed throw two baseballs. Yes, yeah, she did that. Yeah, yeah. That was not a <laughs> yeah.
1: She does it. Yeah. Oh. Rosie is a
2: player. We're having some fun. Uh, Megan Cavanaugh yeah. is with us tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now, one prolific scene that people may not remember, but when, when, you, when you can think back, uh, it's really uh, kind of an important scene. It's when... Dottie and Ellen Sue are playing catch, and the ball's overthrown, and the ball come, comes to uh, an African American woman, picks up the ball and wails it yeah. to Ellen Sue, who catches it. And it, I, what they're trying to portray here, folks, is that they weren't allowed then. To bring African American women into the All American Girls Professional Baseball League, just as the same as they weren't in the major leagues, right, Megan? That's that, that's
1: yeah. right. Yeah, that, absolutely. I know that there were um, some Cuban women who played because they went to Cuba um, that all Americans did, and so there were some uh, Latina women, but there there were no there were no African American women. Yeah, that is a sad fact.
2: That, of course, uh, folks, as you know, didn't come along till Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in 1947. So the, okay. that, that's, of course, when uh, African-American crossed the line, the color line. Right. And I, I want to ask you about reprising your role as Marla Hooch. And uh, another, another uh, actress, great actress we've had on the program, Tracy Reiner, who, of course, is Betty Spaghetti, you guys uh, reprised your roles on TV.
1: We did. We did a CBS series. Um, and it lasted, I, I forget how many episodes. It was like six, I think. Um, and, yeah, that was really, she and I were the only ones from the movie who did it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, it was, uh, let's see, Sam McMurray was Jimmy Dugan. And um, God, who else was Elsa in it? Oh, I'm so bad. Oh, my brain is clogged. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. But it would. We had, that was really. That was an amazing thing too. That was really fun that we got to do that and them. Um, that folks and Tracy was in. And I had both just had babies, and our babies were. Um, you know, oh, we yeah. had nannies there when we were both. Yeah, our babies were little. They were both little guys.
2: Great um, characters, though, Marla and Betty Spaghetti, yeah, and certainly Betty. in the yeah. program.
1: Yeah.
2: Now Gina really did catch the pop up be, behind her back.
1: What? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. I, I don't know if it was a real baseball. I don't remember. We used a lot of soft kind of um, uh, looking baseballs when we were near the camera sometimes because okay. we didn't want the camera to get hurt. Um, and I can't remember if that was a if that was a soft one or not. But that's the one she catches in her hand was a soft one.
2: You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah and uh, a, a tremendous job by Gina Davis in the movie. Now, oh, yeah. Now, how about singing songs from Jesus Christ's Superstar Between Takes? Did that take place, <laughs> Megan?
1: <laughs> you know, I, there was a lot of scenes that I wasn't in with the team.
2: Okay. Because my, yeah. my
1: character got traded right. to um, a scene, which doesn't happen in the movie, but that's what happened in the script, and we filmed it. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of scenes where I wasn't there. And I believe that absolutely could have happened. Yeah. There was a lot of fun shenanigans that happened. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's wild. Now, probably one of the most famous scenes in the movie is the uh, no crying in baseball scene. Were you there for that?
1: I was there for that.
2: Yeah, and how long did it take them to get that right?
1: Oh, I don't remember how long it took. I, I think. I wasn't in, I'm not in those scenes, so I was just watching it. Uh huh. I think I was in it. Yeah, you know, I've watched the movie so many times, I, I, I feel like I was there, but you I really wasn't. I don't remember. Oh, that's terrible. I'm, um, I I don't, I think it was just a normal day of shooting. I don't think it was, uh, you know, crazy, but I, you'd have to ask Lady Schramm about that. She's, she's the I, one that, you know, babbling. Yeah,
2: right. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if they knew back then uh how that, that would become a timeless uh, lexicon in, in baseball. I mean, I I think I read, Megan, that uh, out of the top 100 movie quotes of all time, it was like number 54.
1: Oh, that's so amazing. You yeah. Know, I'm not, I don't know. We definitely didn't. Nobody knew. When we filmed this, we were praying that it wouldn't be a flop, that it wouldn't get you over. Know, wasn't going to go straight to video yeah like, we just didn't know we hoped we wanted to do the women proud um you know the real ladies that played because this was their story and we had gotten to be friends with all of them and they were you know they they need they were they needed to be honored they needed to be the, the world needed to know their stories so we were really more concerned about that yeah um, and we just you know you're filming out of order like the first thing we shot was my wedding
2: oh boy wow okay
1: yeah, like it's just completely out of order, so you just don't, you don't see the whole picture, you know, because you're not starting at the beginning and moving sequentially, you know, to the end. You're, you're all over right. the place. So you're just praying that um, you're putting your hands in the director's hands,
2: mm-hmm. you're putting
1: your performance in the director's hands, and you're praying that they use what you thought was the best thing, you know, and sometimes it's not, and right. or it is, and you just don't know, so... We none of us knew. We did not know if it was going to be a hit or not. We had no idea, really. Well, you guys. And the fact that I'm talking to you three decades later is yeah, astounding. Yeah.
2: And and you accomplished. You certainly accomplished what what uh, you ladies set out to do is is that uh, pay homage to the the, the girls' professional baseball league because uh, oh, yeah. as you say, the, mo- the movie's timeless and 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 still lives on to this day. Um, right. What uh, what about the little kid Stillwell? How was it? How was it filming with oh. with that guy?
1: You know, he was so sweet. He was only five. Wow. He looked older. Yeah, he did. He five, and, and, and he he really was a good kid who didn't want to do bad things. <laughs> so we had to like talk him into, well, we want to be hit with your fly swatter, you know, like we could yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, do that. It'll be really funny. And like he he did not want to go through the bus. And do the things that he was supposed to do, but we had to say, "Oh, it'll be fun. We're going to pretend that we hate it, but you do it. It'll be fun." So you know, we had to talk him
2: into stuff <laughs> the the oh, but it. Oh, it looked like That's it came so kid. natural to the little brat. You I know, know. He, he really was a chore. <laughs> I know,
1: but he was a doll, really. He oh yeah, he,
2: he was great in the movie. Still, well, folks, the uh, yeah, the, the the daughter of the the uh, young lady who cries in baseball. Absolutely. Evelyn, right. exactly.
1: Yes.
2: Now, what have you got uh, in, in the works for yourself, Megan, right now? Do you, you have anything uh, working that you could tell the fans?
1: You know, I'm I'm doing a cartoon that I had to sign a um, an NDA, so I can't tell you about it. Okay. But I can tell you that That's it's, f- it's Disney-related. It's, it's Disney ah. I can tell you that.
2: Wonderful. And,
1: and um, I have no idea when it's coming out or what it's going to be, but it's a cartoon, so I can tell you that much. Gotcha, and, um, and I'm um, I'm very happy to be working again because I was out of work, you know, with COVID as everyone was exactly. for so so long, and it and now that I you know it's just amazing to be, to be. I have a studio in my house now where I can record, um, which is great, and um, and yeah, so I'm I'm just doing cartoons mainly, and I may be going out and doing more Menopause the Musical. I do that. Oh, that
2: was a big hit yeah. for you.
1: Yeah, that and I did. I did it for like fifteen years. And yeah. They're they're getting their show back up and running um, in September. and They're going to start in uh, Watertown, South Dakota, and then they're going on a tour. I actually won't be on that tour. I won't. I, I won't be working with them maybe until November. Um, but uh, I'm 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 taking care of my ninety-one-year-old parents in um in Texas right now. Well, and, there's something to be um, said for
2: that. That's for yeah, sure, Megan. I'm, yeah, we're having
1: a great time with them. They're just, they're just darling, and I love them both. And
2: they're, they're both doing great. So, you're using the, your time well. That's for sure. <laughs> well, we'll look forward to that project. That uh, the secretive project uh, that you can't tell us about. We'll look forward <laughs> to that. We know it's I Disney related. So you gave us a hint. So I hope they're not going right. to come after you for that now,
1: Megan. <laughs> I hope they're not. Too. I, I don't think they will. I don't think they will.
2: No. Well, I tell you, Megan, it's it's uh, been a real pleasure. We we had a lot of fun. I'm sure the, the, the folks did too. Thanks for taking time out of your Sunday to spend it with us uh, up here in New York.
1: Gosh, Bill, it was my pleasure, and you be well, and um, and I hope that uh, you have a great. Your team does well, even though they're not they're, I want the Cubs doing everything. They're not gonna. They're like twenty. <laughs> Neither years is out mine,
2: Megan. People. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, they've been killing me for sixty years. The Mets. That's what I tell people. You know?
1: I'm right there with you with
2: the Cubs, man. I hear you. And, and we ne- and we, ne- we never stop watching, though, do we?
1: No. You're always, always there. Not.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's We're it. We're all masochists. It's called being a fan, folks. That's what it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Megan.
1: Thank you, Bill. Take care.
2: Take care. That's Megan Kavanaugh, folks. Up next on Sports Talk New York, we welcome in the great musician, songwriter, producer, etc., Danny Corchmore. Stay with us, folks. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. And now, back to the show. All right, we are back with Sports Talk New York on WGBB from beautiful downtown Merrick, Long Island. It's still standing. I hope you had a great weekend, folks, despite uh, the untimely arrival of Henri. Henri on the scene. Hurricane Henri. The only Henri I ever heard of was Andre Richard, the pocket rocket from the Montreal Canadiens. Well, I hope we're all safe and sound tonight and I'm glad uh, you can stop by and listen to us right now. We're gonna change gears, keep memories rolling along. Our next guest, a guitarist, a session musician, producer, and songwriter. His work with such singer-songwriters as Linda Ronstadt, James Taylor, David Crosby, Carol King, Graham Nash, Neil Young, Carly Simon, really helped define the signature sound of the singer-songwriter era of the 70s. Jackson Brown and Don Henley have recorded many songs uh, written or co-written by this gentleman, and he was Henley's songwriting and producer partner in the 80s. It's really an honor and a pleasure. Welcome to the show tonight, Danny Korchmar. Danny, good evening. Hi there. Good evening.
0: How are you doing? I hope you survived the storm, okay?
2: Yeah, we're doing all right. We're trying out. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll make it. Uh, now, now you. Danny, you're a New York boy, right? That's right. Yes, I was born in New York. Yeah. Now, who were your early musical influences? Well, you know, the
0: uh, I was born at a really great time because as I was growing up in the fifties, all hell was breaking news with rock and roll. Right. And that was my that's what turned me on. First, with Little Richard and Fats Domino and Chuck Berry. That stuff just lit me up like a Christmas tree when I was a little boy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was my first uh, inkling in that direction. And then as I got to be a teenager, I fell in love with blues by like Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters, Lightnin' Hopkins, all the great blues musicians, and I loved that stuff.
2: Gotcha. So that
0: was part of my influence. And then, of course, as the 60s came on, soul music became incredibly wonderful and great, and that was a huge influence on me, too and uh, I think it was on everybody that grew up in that in that period of time. So yes. those are the three kind of inf- big influences on me.
2: Wonderful. Okay, now I want to talk to you a little bit about The Flying Machine. Now, people may not know The Flying Machine featured James Taylor, and he mm-hmm. he, he sort of mentions this in Fire and Rain when he talks about Sweet Dreams and Flying Machines and pieces on the ground about the breakup mm-hmm. of that band. R- right, Danny? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, now uh, you worked with Carol King on Tapestry and James Taylor on Sweet Baby James. Talk to us a little bit about those two projects.
0: All right, well, um, both those projects were produced by brilliant, brilliant men who I owe tremendous debt to. Carol was being produced by Lou Adler, one of the greatest ever. Right. And James was produced by Peter Asher, who was just starting his career as a producer, but was brilliant from the start. I was friends with Peter before the uh started producing. So um we didn't know. I mean none of us had any idea that you know it was going to be big. I think Lou knew that Tapestry was going to be explosive. I wasn't sure because we'd already made two albums with Carol before that that went nowhere. Mm-hmm. I knew they were great and I knew she was great, but I didn't have a lot of faith in you know the fact of them being great translating to popular success. But it turned out to be that way. It turned out to be that way. And it was a lot of fun making those albums. great. Everyone, you know, it was an intimate and wonderful uh, situation for both those albums.
2: And they, they definitely stand the test of time, that's for sure, because uh, people go. are still buying those today. Now, yeah, I guess so. You, you experienced great success, Danny, backing other artists like Linda Ronstadt, Warren Zivon, uh, Harry Nilsson. How about working with Linda Ronstadt? I I, I got to ask you about that because she's one of my all time favorites. We know she's not well right now, but certainly a legend in the business. Talk about Linda a little bit.
0: Sure. Well, she's an extraordinary individual. But um, I, I I had known her. Everyone knew everyone in Los Angeles at that period of time. Mm-hmm. That's in the uh, the seventies, going into the eighties. Um, at one point, uh, Peter Asher called me and uh, said, uh, "I just finished a James Taylor tour." And Peter called me and said, Listen, are you interested in perhaps, uh, you know, joining Linda's band and going out and doing gigs with Linda? I said, Absolutely. She's brilliant. Uh, so I learned her set. I, I got a copy of the desk, you know, the front of house mix of her set, and I learned it. And then I went to the first rehearsal. Now, I had been playing with James Taylor, who's, and James a wonderful singer, but as you can imagine, it's a quieter affair playing with James than it would be. Uh, playing with ronstadt Mm -hmm. who comes out there she starts singing the first rehearsal and it cuts through me like a knife it's so powerful so loud so intense i couldn't believe it (laughs) and immediately i went back and turned my amp up because now i have to you know this i'm not going to overwhelm her nothing could overwhelm her She is just so intense such an incredible vocalist i actually have never been on stage with anyone ever that that uh was a more powerful and intense and emotional singer than ronstadt brilliant Brilliant woman
2: definitely uh another legend as we said what a voice and i want to ask you about a, a really unique individual one of my favorites of the late warren Zevon.
0: oh boy <laughs> <laughs> well, some, you know they broke the mold after warren you know yeah he was an incredible person uh this guy is absolutely one of the smartest people i ever met in my life one of the smartest and best educated and when I say best educated, I mean self-educated. You know, he didn't. It wasn't college. He actually read all those books. He knew all that stuff. Wow. This guy could talk to you about any subject. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant guy. But also a cervic, tough. You know, uh, uh, he had a def, definitely had an edge. Uh, I just loved the guy. I, I absolutely did, and I loved you know, the time I got to spend with him was 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 great, and I'll never forget it.
2: Speaking with Danny Corchmar tonight on the program. Now you produced. Also, as we said, Danny's a legendary producer. Uh, Don Henley, H- how did uh-huh. you s- did you run into Don when uh, you were back in Linda Ronstadt?
0: Well, as I told you earlier, back in those days in L.A., everyone knew everybody. Right. Okay. We all knew each other, and uh, I knew all the Eagles. Linda, everybody knew everybody, and it was a big kind—I of, won't say family—that might be going too far, but it was a community where everyone was on everybody's side, and we all knew each other. And uh, Don had decided to make a solo album. This is after the Eagles broke up. And it's also after Glenn had made a solo album. Mm-hmm. So I think Don felt the uh, necessity to come up with something himself. And he started calling a lot of people. I started hearing that he was calling a lot of different people in L.A. to come up to his his pad and, and uh, jam with him and throw around some ideas. And um, I knew eventually he was going to call me because he was calling everybody. Mm-hmm. And he did. I went up there, and we, I, I played him some ideas that I had, and we talked a lot. And after a few hours, he said, so, do you want to work on my solo album with me? And so I walked right into this incredible gig with a brilliant, brilliant guy. Henley is brilliant as a singer and as a songwriter, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So I was very lucky to get that job, and I loved every minute of it.
2: Now, yeah, you had a cameo in the great This Is Final Tap, Uh uh-huh. Talk a little bit about getting involved with that movie. Ronnie Pudding was the name of uh, Danny's character.
0: That's right. That's right. right. Ronnie Pudding, that was my character. Yep. Well, I'll tell you what happened. I I knew Chris Guest and and, and, uh, some of the other guys who were involved in that picture. And Rob, I think I played poker with Rob a few times. So I got a call to come down there. Would I be interested in coming down and being one of the Thamesmen? I didn't know anything about it. I had no idea what they were doing. But I knew they were cool cats. So I went to their office in uh, uh, it was in the valley somewhere. And they said, well, let me, you know, here, uh, here's what we're doing. Let, let, let me show you 20 minutes of what we shot already. I said, great, sure. They showed me 20 minutes of it. I laughed so hard <laughs> that my sides ached for 48 hours. I never laughed that hard in my life. I said, I'll do whatever you guys want, absolutely positively. So then I show up there, and it turns out I'm one of the Thamesmen. Um, and they put me in a beetle... Outfit, you know, I, I loved it. The Beetle Boot, the whole thing, you know, dressed me up, and I was, and they gave me a, a Hofner bass, and I was Ronnie Pudding in the Tempsmith. Uh, and I'll tell you what, it's the absolute
2: zenith of my career. I'll never <laughs> beat that. Mm-hmm. Amazing, yeah. Well, check that out, folks. Uh, mm-hmm. Spinal Tap with Danny in that—that's uh, absolutely wonderful. Now. Yeah. <laughs> You, you co-produced and you played with Bon Jovi too. How was uh, it working with John?
0: Oh, it was a lot of fun. We had a ball. Yeah, we had a ball. He, he, you know, he's a very open cat. He was open to the uh, you know the suggestions that I made. Yeah, I'm sure he talked to several producers and they ended up talking to me. And I guess from our conversations, he felt I was the guy to go to. And also, I got a very nice uh, uh, amen from Jimmy Iovine. A great guy and and, uh kind of gave me a boost so um i ended up working with john on that album and uh it was terrific he let me bring the side he let me call the studio the engineer and the musician so how great i got to get all my buddies in there and all the guys i knew that would kick the crap out of his songs yeah would play them brilliantly and they sure as hell did and uh, as soon as john was a john had no experience playing with guys other than his band and he was loving you know, the, uh, first of all, there was no drama. There was no band uh, politics at all. It was just, let's rock. Let's hit this and let's make it great. So I think it was a real relief for him. And I, it seemed like he had a great time. I certainly did. And all the musicians had a wonderful time as well.
2: You're having a lot of great times, Danny. That's for sure. I <laughs> yeah, A little yeah. envious. Yeah, <laughs> yes, uh, you're right. we're, we're speaking with Danny Korchmar tonight on the program. Now, how did you get involved with, with Billy Joel? Uh all right. he's, well, a, he's a saint around here, and, and uh, for those who don't know, Danny co-produced and he played on the River of Dreams album. Give us a little Billy Joel. All
0: right. Well, um, Billy was looking for a producer for that album, and he wanted somebody that lived in New York. He wanted someone on the East Coast. Okay. And, uh, he had, I guess, talked to several different people, and uh, my name came up, my manager at the time, got me an interview or, or a meeting with, with Billy, because he was meeting with a bunch of different people. And uh, uh, so I met with him. I, I was living in Connecticut at the time, and I drove up the coast to a uh, a marina, and Billy showed up in his boat. He went right across from Long Island to uh, this marina in, in uh, Connecticut. Nice. And there he was, him and his, uh, his lawyer, John Eastman, I think, was with him. And we had a long conversation. Great guy. Very bright guy. And I was hoping I would get the gig. And uh, sure enough, I was invited to uh, his studio. He had a studio going in shelter, on Shelter Island.
2: Ah, touring okay. Band. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, um, well, it's been documented before, but uh, when I went in there, I convinced him to let me try something a little different. So to not work in this, this uh, kind of uh, jury-rigged studio in a boatyard on Shelter Island, Mm-hmm. I said, let's go to the Hit Factory in New York. And, you know, I had to convince him a little bit, but he said, I guess you figured, well, let's, I'm going to go along with this guy for a minute and see what he can come up with. It. And then I brought my own rhythm section in, some guys that I knew could really rock the house. And uh, uh, we started recording, and sure enough, he, he liked it, and, and we, we kept going. If it hadn't worked out, it wouldn't have it wouldn't lasted more than a couple of days, but it did, and we kept going. And this guy... Ridiculously talented. I mean, you know, yes, everybody knows that Billy's incredibly talented. But I wasn't a guy that had been following his career that much. It wasn't like I was sitting home listening to Billy Joel albums. My taste ran more towards, you know, uh, old blues and and R&B. Right. But when I sat down and started working with him, this guy is relentless. He is a great, great musician, singer, non-pareil. And I had nothing, after after, uh, an hour, I had just nothing but tremendous respect for him. He is every, everything you think he is. And he's also a very down-to-earth fellow. He's also very smart. He's also very, very funny. He's hilarious. <laughs> so uh, um, it was a joy spending time with him. He's a
2: great guy, you know. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's sick what, it, what he's accomplished. It, it, it really is yeah. amazing.
0: Brilliant, brilliant fellow. No question about it. But he's a guy that's always questioning you, Dave. He's never satisfied. He's not one of those guys who pass himself on the back. He doesn't show up at every uh, event. You know, he's not, he doesn't roll like that. He's a, uh, he sticks to himself a lot. You know, he's a multifaceted guy. He's, he's not just one way. He's not particularly garrulous or, or uh, you know, desirous of, of uh, uh, certainly of the celebrity scene. He, he sticks to his, his friends. To his, and his friends. The friends he has, he's had for a long time. You know, he's that kind of a guy. In other words, since you're from Long Island you're a New Yorker, you'd recognize yeah, that kind of person.
2: right. Uh-huh. Yeah, people yeah. run into him on the street in East Hampton, and uh, he's helped people with their groceries. I mean, like you said, uh, a, a regular guy, and uh, more or less sticks to himself, like you said. That's right. But so he's you know he's very
0: he's approachable. He doesn't has no attitude. He never pulls rank and says, "Oh, look who look who I am." Never. Yeah. So he's a very down to earth fellow, you know. He, Nice. I was very impressed by that, and I miss him. I wish I could look for him some more, you know, but, of course, he's on the road now doing, yeah. him, doing what he's doing.
2: Doing his stadiums, yeah, and having no problem selling them out, that's for sure now. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course, of course not. You, you were brought on board to produce Van Halen. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, l- give us a little insight into what it's like working with those guys. Well,
0: unfortunately, I can't swear because you're on, uh, on radio here live, but uh, <laughs> it was a cluster...
2: Ah, oh, gotcha. All right. Yeah.
0: Now, Eddie Van Halen, first of all, a lovely fellow. Uh, I was pals with him before Before I got called to come down there and, and talk to them about producing it. And this guy, forget it. I mean, forget it. Everyone knows he's great, but let me tell you, he's astonishing, you know, in terms of his ability, not just as a guitar player, but altogether as a musician. There was one track he played me where there was a cello on. I said, Well, who's playing cello? They said, Oh, I am. I'm the he picked up a cello and started to play that and, you know and it was great you know you wow. to play any instrument in other words you gave him a trombone he played something great on that you know um but uh, that was not a good time for the band uh Gary Sharon was the lead singer yeah the, the third lead singer they brought in and it wasn't really a good match it wasn't really uh 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 it really wasn't working the way uh Eddie felt comfortable with and uh you know, Eddie was, was, was in absolutely brilliant shape at that point. He was having physical problems, and he was unsure about what to do next. And then Roth came back. They fired uh, Gary Sharon. Roth came back, and he had a major attitude, this and that. And uh, I realized that, geez, you know, I really I didn't uh, study to be a psychiatrist. I'm more <laughs> yeah. a musician kind of guy, you know? And uh, I realized that these guys had problems that, you know, a record producer couldn't solve. And the whole thing blew up. Nothing happened, and nothing did happen for another twenty years. You know. In other words, uh, I, I I wasn't involved anymore, but no one was. It just went into limbo. right.
2: Well, it really, it, really it, it, can't it, hit a home bad. run every time out, Danny. That's that's for sure. Now, well, Eddie as a play, as Eddie as a player and a composer. Let
0: me tell you, does hit a home run every time out? Oh yeah, Absolutely. Eddie himself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, like I said before, not just as a, uh, a guitar player, of course. Where You know, he's obviously one of the greatest ever, but just as a thinking musician altogether, a rounded, all well-rounded altogether musician.
2: Nice. Before I forget, I want to mention uh, Danny and his band coming up November twentieth. That's a Saturday uh, at the New York Society for Ethical Culture. That's at six thirty p.m. You can get tickets tickets for that. And uh, let's talk about the Immediate Family now, Danny. Uh, What an interesting bunch. And uh, tell us about the band.
0: Well, I'll tell you what. The Immediate Family, first of all, uh, the rhythm section of the Immediate Family is Russ Kunkel and Lee Sklar. I've been playing with them for more than 50 years. We started off together with James Taylor as his backup band and his recording band. And, uh, you know, we've been playing together on and off ever since. And we really know each other. The, the reason this man is called immediate family, that's the reason. Now, the Kwadi came along a little bit later. I didn't meet him until five or six years later. And uh, it was obvious. It was love at first sight. Quadi was just one of those cats. Such a great musician and just a great person. And he got he and I got along like a house on fire right away. And uh, then everyone went off and did their separate thing. But that was in the 70s when all that was happening. Then mm-hmm. everyone went off and did their own thing. Remember, these guys are some of the most in-demand in musicians
2: in the world. Right. You know?
0: um, so they were all touring and gigging and doing all kinds of stuff. Leland does session after session. He's one of the most in-demand session musicians that ever lived. You know, and I got kicked upstairs to be producer with Henley. Uh, so it didn't happen until recently. I was um, I was offered a, a, a chance to make an album for a Japanese label, and. Um, of my stuff, and I didn't know who was around, this was three years ago or so, about three and a half years ago, and uh, I didn't know who was around, I assumed that Russ and Lee were gone, but they always are, so I called around, and sure enough, they were in town, and agreed to come down, and start to work on this stuff with me, and then Wadi um, showed up later, he was out with Stevie, so he showed up, you know, on the last day, but he also did a ton of work after that, and as it developed, it was like we were starting to realize great we're loving this then um, I was I came up with the idea I wanted to call it a band you know I always wanted to be in a band you know since I was 15 and I've always been in bands you know Mm -hmm. so uh, I wanted it to be a band more than I wanted it to be just me you know and it evolved into that then we got offered a gig in Japan to go over there and play a couple of club dates everyone went and sure enough it, it we just became a band it just happened you know um it just evolved.
2: Yeah. And uh, as you said, oh, what a talented bunch now. You have a new LP coming out on August 27th. Right. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that.
0: Well, it's all original material. It's stuff that we uh, all of us contributed to the writing of. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, from my point of view, it's great to have an outlet for my song. Because when I don't have an outlet for them, I tend to like you know, I was, I just kind of stop writing or not write as much. When I was with Henley, uh, I would be able to uh, come up with an idea for a track or something to play for him, and if he liked it, we'd be in the studio the next day recording. Uh, so I was very prolific then, and then I slacked off writing lines and then started up again with uh, Immediate Family. Now I have this great band. If I can write a song, or you know, uh, um, especially co-write a song, because we do a lot of co-writing in this band come up with something. Hey, we got a band to play with, you know. And right. There's an outlet for it, so uh, that's just extraordinary. It's just an incredible blessing, and, all, and you know, just being with my brothers is an incredible blessing altogether.
2: And you're playing at the Grammy Museum to kick this off.
0: Yeah, I, we're not playing. We're playing the album back and uh, doing a Q and A. Okay. Being interviewed.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great uh, for folks out in L.A. to check that out. Go to immediate family band, all one word, dot com mm-hmm. and check that out. The one thing I yeah. found interesting, Danny, is uh, on on the website, I saw something uh, that describes the band as a cover band that plays original material.
0: Right. Well, I was yeah. that phrase because, uh, you know, most of our set when we started off was tunes that we wrote, you know, uh, or co-wrote. For instance, I wrote a lot of, I co wrote a lot of tunes with James and and Jackson and Henley. Mm -hmm. So we were doing those tunes. Waddy wrote, co wrote several tunes with Warren. So we were doing those tunes. And then we added a few things after that, a couple of originals after that. So it was mostly covers that we wrote, you know. Right. (laughs) And played on and produced and all that. But everything we did was stuff we wrote, you know, wrote or co wrote. So that's why I use that expression. But now this new album is all original material so we're not really covering this album. So I guess I'll have to stop using that phrase.
2: (laughs) That's okay. Uh, Mojo Magazine, uh, folks, says, it's pure rock and roll by a band of assassins who aim to groove and never miss their target. A collection Mm -hmm. that rock guitar connoisseurs will savor. Now that's a a great compliment right there.
0: Yeah, it's very nice, and it's
2: absolutely true. Yep. And folks may remember, talk a little bit about playing with Waddy.
0: Well, I love playing with Waddy. He and I, you know, it's funny because we always played brilliantly together from the first session we ever did, the first time we ever played together. We played mm-hmm. very well together. And we just have an understanding. Um, he has a very different sound than me. He and I both have very different sounds. Waddy favors a less Paul, you know, cranked and with great crunch and great thickness and... and uh, I, I play mainly telecasters,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and my sound is, I'm not going to say thinner, but it's different. It's cleaner, perhaps, and more. it's just a different sound. And um, our orientation is a little bit different because uh, my main influences are from soul music and blues, and Wadi is, is pure rock. So um, the fact is we play very well together because of that. The other part of it is we very, have very little, in working out the guitar parts on this album, we have very little discussion. Um, about what should happen you know he and i are both reactive so we know what to do we know how to play together and we don't need to talk about it a lot we we kind of just fall in uh, on um, we just kind of fall in on, on finding the right parts here i love playing with him and he's in my opinion one of the absolute great rock guitar players from america
2: ever sure is now what's uh give, give us uh, one of your favorite tracks off off the album danny well, you know, I like
0: so many of them. The single that's out now is Fair Warning, one of Waddy's tunes mm-hmm. that just rocks like crazy. I really like a tune of mine called, um um Divorced. Um should check out. And, uh, geez, there's another one called, uh, that I wrote called A Thing of the Past, which is, uh, you know, the tune I'm, I'm kind of proud of. And I don't know, man, there's, you know,
2: yeah. I love all the tunes on there, you know of course you do yeah it's a, it's a great uh, it's a great work immediatefamilybandfolks.com uh check that out and i want to mention once more coming to the area here uh, the immediate family with Danny Korchmar, november 20th it's a saturday uh, yeah. new york society for ethical culture that's at 6:30 yeah. p.m. tickets are available for that uh, what are people uh, what's in store for people for that night, Danny? Uh, that's gonna be some big rock and roll right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we
0: amazingly have gotten um, our dear dear friend Willie Niles gonna be with us. Oh nice. So and he's one of the great, great New York rock and rollers for sure. And we all love him very much. And as for the rest of it, the, you know, the three of us that are the three guitar players, Steve Postel, Lottie and myself, are all born and raised in New York City. And we're thrilled to go home and play our hometown. Because it don't matter where I live, New York is always going to be my hometown. Uh, nice. And uh, everyone, and, and we all feel that way. And I think anyone born in New York does feel that way, or should. And um, we're thrilled to get back there and have some real pizza. Yeah. And, uh,
2: Bagels. Know, right? In <laughs> Ticket. That's right. Yeah.
0: So, uh, you know, the idea of going back there and playing in New York for our pals is just, we're thrilled. Thrilled to death.
2: Outstanding, Danny. Well, And we will be
0: rocking. We will be rocking the house.
2: I, I, I take your word for it. I believe that for sure. Now, uh, I thank you for coming out with us tonight. It's been an honor and a pleasure. I thank you for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend some of it with us back here in your hometown.
0: Great. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to your people. That's great. Thank you.
2: Good night. That's Danny Korchmore, folks. Well, that will do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. I'd like to thank my guests, Megan Kavanaugh and Danny Korchmar, my engineer, Brian Graves, and, of course, you guys for joining us. Uh, Don't know who's coming up next, but I will see you next Sunday on the radio, as Charles Osgood used to say. "Till then, be safe, be well, folks. Phil Donahue, wishing you a good evening, folks.
0: The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.